Technology is changing everything. It's changed every aspect of our world from uh, travel to publishing to TV, movies, education, you name it. Technology has upended it, and now it's coming for our industry. Uh, it's been slow, uh, and then over the course of the pandemic, it happened very, very quick. My guest on today's show uh, wrote a book called Delivering the Digital Restaurant. Carl and Meredith joined us on episode number 142, and they are back to talk about their follow-up book. If the first book was a 30,000-foot view, the why, why we got here, what's actually happening, this one is all about the how. It's very actionable. It is a playbook, which being a coach uh, is music to my ears. Don't go anywhere. Tons of actionable advice on today's episode of Restaurant Strategy. There's an old saying that goes something like this. You'll only find three kinds of people in the world. Those who see, those who will never see, and those who can see when shown. This is Restaurant Strategy, a podcast with answers for anyone who's looking. tuning in. My name is Chip Close, and this is Restaurant Strategy, a podcast dedicated entirely to the hospitality industry. We cover marketing operations and everything in between. Each week, I leverage my 20 plus years in the industry to help you build a more profitable and a more sustainable business. Uh, I also work directly with owners and operators all over the world to help you uh, address and overcome the specific challenges you face in this industry. If you're curious to learn more, then set up a free 30-minute strategy session. It's a coaching call with me. Go visit restaurantstrategypodcast.com slash schedule. Again, let me show you how simple it can be to run a profitable restaurant. Visit restaurantstrategypodcast.com slash schedule. As always, you'll find that link in the show notes. Now, thousands of restaurants across the country use KickFin to send instant cashless tip payouts directly to their employees' bank accounts the second their shift ends. It's a really simple solution to a really big problem. Because let's face it, paying cash out tips uh, to your workers day after day, shift after shift, is kind of a nightmare. Tedious tip distribution takes managers away from work that matters. It's hard to track payments, which leads to accounting and compliance headaches. Plus, cash tip-outs create the perfect opportunity for theft. And there's never enough cash on hand to pay out those tips, so managers are constantly having to make bank runs. Bottom line, there's never been a secure, efficient way to tip out until now. Meet Kickfin. Kickfin is an easy-to-use software that sends real-time, cashless tip payouts straight to your employees' bank accounts 24-7, 365. Tipping out with Kickfin gives managers and operators hours back in their day. It makes reporting a breeze and protects your business from mistakes and theft. And guess what? Employees love it, so it becomes one of the best recruiting tools out there. Best of all, restaurants can have KickFin up and running overnight. Employees can enroll in seconds, no hardware, no contracts, no setup fees. Get in touch today for a personalized demo and see how restaurants and bars across the country are tipping out with KickFin. Visit kickfin.com demo. That link is also in the show notes. As I said at the uh, top of the show, my guests on today's episode are Carl Orsborn and Meredith Sandland. Uh, they are back. They originally joined us on episode number 142 to talk about their first book, Delivering the Digital Restaurant. Uh, those who are watching on YouTube can see it right here. I love this book. I, uh, I recommend this book to all of my clients. Often we read it as uh, as in a, books, uh, in a book club format. But 
Now, Carl and Meredith are back today to talk about their newest book. I'm thrilled uh, to talk about this again, like I said in the open. If the first book was about the what and the why, this book is all about the how. It's actionable advice for the independent operator. Carl, Meredith, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Chip. Nice to be here. My pleasure. So, um, when we talk about this new book, I think we first have to talk about the original book um, because there's plenty of people listening uh, who have never heard of that book, uh, who might not know you guys and, and all that you've done for the industry. So I wonder if we can start there, if we can go back, um, explain what that first book was, um, why you wrote it, when you wrote it, um, give us a little context there, and I think that'll end up being a really good uh, jumping pad into the new book. Yeah, it's uh, well. It's great, great to be back on Chip. Thanks again for having us. Um, to be able to be on your show and to support the folks that you support is actually very much one of the reasons why we're writing this book, uh, this new book. And you know, the the original book, delivering the digital restaurant, was very much written for the independent restaurant in many ways. And why was that? Well, when Meredith and I were both at Kitchen United. We were speaking to restaurants, large and small, up and down the nation, about ghost kitchens in that particular example. But of course, ghost kitchens were wrapped up in the wider digital disruption that was happening in the overall environment. And restaurants were trying to figure out, you know, what is going on here? Is this a flash in the pan? Is this something I really should take seriously? Should I let someone else figure it out? And I'll come and do this three or four years down the line. And we, you know, we were trying to help a lot of restaurants think about why this is something to take seriously. And actually, at that point, we said, why don't we buy them a book? Why don't we buy our, you know, our clients, our prospects a book to help them understand why this is so important, why it's not the, uh, the evil VCs or the tech companies making this happen. And so we, um, Meredith said to me, yeah, great idea, Carl. Let's uh, go, go buy some books. And I think that was the end of what Meredith thought was going to be her book conversation with Carl Osborne. Let's put it that way. Um, but it wasn't. It, it wasn't. Um, I, I went on to Amazon. No such book existed. And, you know, go a few months down the line and Meredith and I had left Kitchen United and we said to each other, well, what, what about that book idea? And somehow we, uh, we agreed to get in to, to write it. Now, it was actually only early on into the writing process that then the pandemic happened. And the pandemic, of course, then forced every restaurant into being a ghost kitchen. It forced a lot of restaurants to think about their digital strategy. And it forced us to speed up our writing because this became very, very personal, very, very uh, important for restaurants of all shapes and sizes to figure out. And so the, the book very much tackles the subject of why is this serious? Why is this something you should actually look to embrace? Why it's something you should be excited about? Um, and, and in that regard, um, what lessons can you learn from those that are are doing this well already and those that have been building this for many years? You know, we spoke to over 100 different executives, technology executives, as well as restaurant executives that are exploring this. And it was in that space that we were able to tell their story. The book's gone on to be a great success, a bestseller in a number of different uh, countries since we uh, first spoke, Chip. Uh, we've won a few awards. Uh, Meredith and I now talk at a number of different conferences both here in the US and further uh, afield. Um, and would you believe the Romanian Restaurant Association has asked for a translated copy? So it's going to be big in Romania. <laughs> I love it. But it, I mean, it's true. I mean, listen, I, I've got it. I keep it close here. It, it's right here. Um, I recommend it to all my clients. Uh, oftentimes we do it almost as a book club because I think it's that important. And 
Meredith, I want to toss a question to you because when we talk about uh, the digital restaurant or digitizing restaurants, um, that can feel broad. It can feel overwhelming. So talk to me about some of the the ways in which uh, a, a restaurant can can digitize it or step into sort of the the new digital world. What are some ways that restaurants are doing that successfully? Yeah, well, I think that's exactly right, Chip, and that's a lot of what led to our writing the second book because you know the first one is this very um, I don't know, more philosophical, why is this important? What exactly is happening? Who's doing what? And we kept getting questions from restaurants that were like, okay, I believe, but how, right? What should I be doing? What are the tangible things that are going to make me a digital restaurant? What actually is a digital restaurant, right? Right. And so the second book is really our response to those questions that we've been receiving from readers of the first book to talk a little bit more specifically about what actions a restaurant should take to move into this digital world. And the book opens actually with a discussion of the third party marketplaces. I think restaurants oftentimes have a love-hate relationship with them. Uh, we are very pro the third party marketplaces in that they are a wonderful place to be found. The chapter is called Be Found. And it's all about the incredible service that the marketplaces do of aggregating those consumer eyeballs of hungry people into one place and then using search engine algorithms to help match those hungry consumers to the foods they're looking for. Uh, so we talk a lot about that and about how to make the most of them. If you're going to be on them, how to do it well so that your ratings are good, you're getting sales out of those platforms, you're having the lowest possible chargeback rates on those platforms, things like that. So it is a great experience both for you and for your consumer, which hopefully can then lead to a lifetime relationship with them. So I want to I want to pause right there because I want to dive a little bit deeper into that specifically because I think this is a hot button issue, uh, and I've felt this way about the third party delivery sites, and uh, I couldn't uh, I couldn't put my finger on it, I couldn't articulate it until I read your book, and I said yes yes that's what I've been feeling I couldn't articulate it you um, you put your finger on it um, so clearly, for me it comes down to this idea of location right that we all know, restaurateurs listen to this, will understand that you pay more for prime real estate, meaning you pay more to be where people are, right? To be in Times Square, because there are millions of people passing through Times Square every day. Um, you pay more to be in a, you know, in a, in a popular uh, strip of uh, shopping mall, in a popular street. I think about in New York City, Restaurant Row, right? Restaurant Row is on 46th Street. Um, you pay more to be on that street because there's purchase intent. Hungry people go to Restaurant Row because there are a lot of restaurants and they're going to decide one of them. And in a lot of ways, we're just, ch in my opinion, and, and tell me how you guys view it, uh, but we're just changing the definition of location. We have to be where the people are, where the hungry people are, where they those people are going to get food, to find food, um, is just changing and it's changed over the course of just five or 10 years. And, and certainly the pandemic pushed that along. Is that a fair way of looking at that? That's exactly right. I mean, we, you're like, we are singing from the same song sheet, right? And it is um, a class A digital mall, right? Like 
Sangha consumers right. are going there, and that's a great place to be found. Now, you know, there might be some restaurants will say that that's just not for me. I'm never going to be on that. I'm gonna I'm gonna get my consumers other ways. And there are some restaurant brands for whom that works, but for most restaurants, there is a significant chunk of consumers who, when they think I'm hungry. They go to these platforms and it's a great place to be found. It's a great place to be exposed to new consumers who maybe haven't been thinking of your brand before. And yes, you do pay more for the privilege of being in front of those consumers, but that then raises a whole host of questions around you know, how do you think about that expense as a marketing expense? How do you price yep. your food on those platforms? How do you convert them to first parties? So many uh, other follow-on questions that come from that first point. It's funny. One of the things that I talk about with my clients, I say, if we're ever doing a marketing action, um, we have to think of the next three steps in the action. Meaning if we're going to go do a street fair, a carnival, a, a block party, a, you know, some sort of festival, it's not enough to go bring our food, sell it, and make some money at the end of the day. You know, I always say, I want to put some, I want to, I want to give stuff away. I want to collect data. You know, I want to do a giveaway at the end of the day so that I'm, uh, you know, maybe I serve 500 people, but I've got 2,500, you know, email addresses um, in my fishbowl, for example, at the, at the end of the day, you know, and I think for this, uh, for this third party delivery, um, and certainly you've said it, you've outlined it on, uh, in the book. And we talked about it a lot the first time you were on the show. Um, it is a customer acquisition cost, really thinking of that as a marketing cost of saying, yes, I'd be willing to spend $20 to acquire a customer, but it's only worth that if you can prove or if you can track the lifetime value of that customer. And so talk about converting them from third party to first party, and, uh, and then talk about how we build loyalty and longevity so that we do have a lifetime with that customer so that we can continue to see a return on that initial investment of the of the commission fee that we paid to Uber Eats or DoorDash. Big, big question. My goodness, two big questions, I think. Um, and I think this is where, you know, we, we, we chart this path to digital maturity in the book, Chip. Um, and the first path, obviously, is optimizing third parties. The second part of it is this idea of how do you convert and convert those fans of your brand that have been, that have, you have discovered your brand on a marketplace, had a great experience, and then want to come back to you. Because this is one of the challenges. And I think 70, 80% of all restaurants across the US right now are there. Right. And so early on is, I guess, the point in this in this this challenge. And a lot of it comes down to thinking about, well, what's going through the customer's mind? Are they thinking about your brand when they're hungry? And if they are, you, you've got to be able to have an interface that is as frictionless, that has a great experience attributed to it in the same way as the marketplaces have refined over many years. So. I use this term. We were at a, a small little gathering last year together, if you recall. I use, use this term, count the clicks. Uh, and this, that, that term really is around how many steps does it take from the moment someone has started at your digital front door, your website, your app, whatever it may, it may be, and actually then gone through the, the commerce experience to the point of when they've checked out. And if you look at something like a DoorDash, the amount of clicks or steps for a registered user for a non-modified item is something like five clicks. Now the challenge I think for many first party direct channels today is that it's something like eight, nine, 10 clicks. And so unless your experience is differentiated enough, 
is something that really creates a profoundly different type of experience. Those extra clicks are reasons why I should just go back and order again from a DoorDash or an Uber Eats. So we spend a lot of time perhaps starting by not talking about converting, but by designing the right type of interface to make sure that your fans, the ones that want to you know, buy from you again, have a great experience through the overall purchasing uh, approach. So that one really shouldn't be um, missed, I think, from the new book, The Path to Digital Maturity. And um, it, it's important because once you have got that in place, once you're confident that you've got a frictionless and differentiated UX, a user experience, then you can start to think about the, the practices that you can deploy to actually bring those customers. Now, you've used a... a so can I pause you? Yeah. Can I pause you there yeah, real quick, please. Carl? I'm so sorry, because this whole uh, book and this whole episode is really about the how. So again, I can imagine a lot of uh, operators sitting here nodding along with you and say, yes, that's what I want, but I'm locked in by the online ordering partner that I have, either the, the uh, features that my, my POS offers or the features that my website offers. And so what is someone to do if they say, I'm, I'm locked into sort of a, clum a clunky interface, like a clunky UX, um, how do they begin to fix that? Well, I think, uh, I think step one is, you know, ask yourself, do you really need everything that you have opted into? There's a lot of configuration that can happen on these platforms. And I, I see, you know, two challenges generally with a lot of users of technology, myself included, frankly, my husband would, would laugh even hearing me describe this as he looks at my phone. Um, but one challenge is, you just take it out of the box and you use it the way it is and you don't ever go to the configuration panel and don't change things around and that results in one experience the other is you're so excited with your new toy that you configure everything and it's you know really complicated because you've made it as complicated as it can be um, and so taking the time to say watch youtube videos of other restaurateurs who've done the setup on uh toast or lunchbox or whatever it is that you're using and see their journey of going through and how they pick the settings um, really really useful and then doing the reverse which is going through the order experience on your platform as a consumer and noting where it is a little more difficult than maybe it needs to be and then putting those two things together to try to simplify and streamline i think is the way that you come out with the best version of whatever it is you happen to be locked into. And then of course, if it's truly terrible, then you should change providers. I love this idea of the network of utilizing YouTube. And I think, uh, again, this audience is, it, well, this audience is made up of uh, primarily independent operators, and it's the thing that uh, that they suffer most from, I think, in talking to them over and over and over again. It's this siloed experience. They feel like they're the only, they're out there alone on a you know on an iceberg with no one else to help them. And when you just sort of pick up the phone or send an email and say, and I love this idea of like looking to people in other in other markets, whether that's through YouTube or just reaching out. And, and I've certainly done that uh, on behalf of clients. I say I love how you've set this up it is frictionless tell me can you tell me what you did i'd like to uh i'd like to explain that to my client in a totally different market they're never gonna they're never gonna compete and they and i find across the board 99 percent of the time they're only too happy they're they're sort of thrilled that someone noticed 
and they're only too happy to, to show you what they did and, and how they can Absolutely. I mean, that's a lot of what you do, right, with your coaching groups as you, you foster that environment where they can share with each other. Um, that's right. But even if you're not part of a group like that, if you're not fortunate enough, there are so many people sharing their experience on places like YouTube that you uh, generally, if you search for the right thing, you can find uh, what it is that you're looking for. And one thing to add, Chip, would be uh, ask your team members, right? Your, your team members are typically going to be younger and they're going to be folks that perhaps have different experiences themselves. They're using apps in other restaurants. The, the, the challenge a lot of the time with this type of thing is, is that you're, you're going to be limited by the perspective of this is my restaurant, right? I mean, forget digital for a second. If you walk in through your restaurant and you're trying to have a critical eye about every single little thing, like the, 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 the dirt on a ceiling fixture or the way in which a particular poster frame is, is positioned, that has been there every single day you've walked into the restaurant and so therefore your your eyes aren't necessarily going to pick up on it and i think it's something about using fresh eyes and using uh, your customers as well as your peers in the industry to help it's such a great point i'm, I'm glad you brought it up it, it's it, we have to do it um we have to look at with fresh eyes it's it's difficult we lose sight of the forest for the trees and especially now as things are changing so fast um, we have to be able to do it. Okay, so you said the first step is to be found, but then really like the true first step is to make sure you've got a really seamless, frictionless, um, enjoyable uh, first party uh, ordering experience. So that, that would, Yeah, that people... would be the table stakes for what we would say converting fans. You've got to have a great yeah. experience. Yeah. So it's got to be great. It, uh, number one, you, it has to exist. I'm still blown away. I just I just moved out here from New York City to the New Jersey suburbs uh, about six, seven months ago. And I'm blown away as we're here in a, in a new uh, area, in a new neighborhood, trying to discover restaurants. And I'm sort of doing this in real time. Uh, what, what uh, you know, I was in Brooklyn for eight years, New York City for 20. Like, I, like I knew my places. I, I knew where I wanted to go. I knew what I loved. Uh, but now I'm discovering everything all new and, and going through this and seeing um, in real time, just when you think that everybody's heard it, everybody's sick of hearing what we're talking about, right here on the show um it's just not true the number of people that don't have a website set up let alone online ordering don't have good online ordering available don't have pictures of their items on there so it's um it's just not a a, a good experience I'm, I'm just sort of blown away so you got to have a website you got to have online ordering and it's got to be really frictionless so a really fun experience once you have that then you've got somewhere to take people right i mean is that that's the that's the idea. Then you've got someone you can take them from third party to your really super duper first party um, experience. Yeah, that's exactly right. Although I would caution that a restaurateur should have realistic expectations about how many people are going to ever convert. Um, I think you know we do ourselves a disservice when we say, okay, the way to justify third party fees is that I'm going to convert them all to first party. Well, you're not going to convert all of them. Right. And, uh, you know, I'd be curious, Chip, from your groups um, and your coaching clients, what percentage they think they are able to convert. Um, but I think brand to brand, it varies and it tends to be somewhere in the, you know, 10 to 30 percent range. It's certainly not 90 percent. That's that's exactly right. But I'll tell you what that translated to, because we just did this. Um, we just did this review with one of my clients and they made a really big push. They didn't have online ordering at all. So we made it uh, a priority we, and we made it really seamless as good as we could make it. 
And what they found, uh, we, we looked at about three months, you know, we looked at a core, I think it was Q3, and then we looked at um, January. So it, it, the data doesn't quite um, hook up because Q4 was where we were setting it all up. Uh, but the bottom line was it accounted for about an extra three percentage points of profit at the end of the month, which Amazing. for an operator, three percentage points. I mean, it was like 2.8% profit. Yeah. And we looked at everything to see what was coming in on uh, in-store versus delivery. And the delivery basically stayed the same. So we didn't lose people. We just pushed people from one place to another, a place where we weren't paying these hefty commission fees. And that accounted for about two and a half to three percent in profit margin, which is huge when we're talking Enormous. about trying to sneak every you know every point we can. Absolutely, yeah, that is incredible. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not saying it's not worth doing. It's a, it's absolutely worth doing. I just before uh, restaurants say, oh, if I get this right, I'm going to get everyone over. You're not going to get everyone over. There's going to be some people who are on Dash Pass or Uber One, Grubhub Plus who are never going to come off the platforms because that's where they order. There's going to be people who are getting, you know, subsidized by their employer with Uber Eats credits. They're never going to come over. Right. And so we have to be realistic yep. about those people and think about those consumers in a different way and how, how we drive their sales and their profitability in a different way. And then for those who are open to converting, figure out how we convert them and know that doing so is hugely valuable. It's just not going to be everybody. I think understanding that so customer, another... understanding that customer. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, Richard. Yeah, understanding that that customer mindset, I think, is important. You know, just to give some substance. When we we look at DoorDash's full year results, um, you'll have seen that they had 32 million active monthly users, but they've got 15 million DoorDash subscribers. Sorry, DashPass subscribers. And so, when you have that in place, that just tells you that there's. Those customers are moving the idea of the value equation out of their mindset. But they're also using DashPass because they want the variety attributed to DoorDash. Now, when you look at the best out there, those folks that are actually getting a, a much larger proportion of first-party orders through their, uh, their own direct platform, let's say a Chipotle, for example, why are Chipotle customers using the Chipotle app or the Chipotle interface? Well, they're doing it for things like the Chipotle lane, where you can have, you can, you know, order and you can pick up with just driving through. Um, but they're also using it because of the interface. But they're also doing that because they want to be able to be supported by the brand. Maybe they want to be supported through the loyalty program, right? How many customers are going on to Starbucks and going on to uh, DoorDash and, and Uber Eats? They're not because they want to get their, their stars, right? And so there's an angle here as well about the way in which you create your value proposition. And so as we as we lean into this piece around converting customers from third party to first party, it depends on what type of customer you're trying to bring across. Are you trying to bring them across as a loyalty customer? Are you trying to bring them across because they're a value added customer in the sense that they're someone that really is very much drawn to value? Or is it because you want to take that customer across and make them someone that comes and visits you more often than perhaps they would do otherwise? And it might be all of those things, but you've got to have a, a certain level of strategy around your approach here. Because if that's the case, then you've got to think about that mechanic, the mechanic that you think is going to be able to convert those customers across from that third party to first party and start then communicating that in an appropriate manner. And so mm -hmm. how, how, do you, how do you communicate that? Well, that then is very much about this. I'm going to bring this term up again in the second book, A-B testing trying different tactics. Different tactics will work 
in different restaurants, sometimes in different times of day, sometimes through different providers. But it, might, it may well be a leaflet in the bag. It might be a leaflet in, uh, on the outside of the bag. It might be the bag. Um, it might be various different ways in which you can communicate through um, the, 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 the the local market using local store marketing. We you know we still shout about flyers. Flyers still are very effective if you want to be able to do that. But you know the the point is is that. You have to have a mechanic first that you think is going to convert folks across, and then you need to try different mediums. And then the actual coupon code or something that's going to drive that level of interest into your first-party channel, that's going to be something you track and trace. Don't just let that just fall out. That that data point of what's working is really, really important. Now. Pop Menu has reimagined the restaurant. They're breaking the mold of the menu, taking the kitchen doors off the hinges, and serving up their most comprehensive technology solution yet, Pop Menu Max. It comes with the previous ingredients that we've mentioned here on this podcast, right? Uh, websites designed with SEO, marketing tools to keep you top of mind with guests, and of course, the patented interactive menu technology. This new recipe brings automated phone answering, third-party online order aggregation, waitlisting, and more to the table. PopMenu's phone answering technology, for example, has your ringing phones covered. With artificial intelligence, the simple questions that used to keep your phone line tied up can now be handled without pulling a staff member from your in-person hospitality. No more missed reservations, no more asking for your hours or missed revenue, and that's just the beginning. You have a passion for food, PopMenu has a passion for technology. Together, it's a recipe for restaurant success. Now, even more digital ingredients are in their technology pantry, and PopMenu is helping restaurants attract, engage, remarket, and transact with their guests on a whole new level. Trust me, if you're a restaurant owner, you need PopMenu to take your business to the next level. For a limited time only, get $100 off your first month, plus you lock in one unchanging monthly rate. Go to popmenu.com slash restaurant strategy to claim this offer. Again, that's $100 off your first month at POP. M-E-N-U dot com slash restaurant strategy. Again, that link is in the show notes. It's it's amazing to me, again, being now in the New Jersey suburbs, I'm discovering all new restaurants. It's amazing to me when we've ordered from Uber Eats, the number of uh, uh, food, that the, the food that comes uh, totally unmarked in a plain bag, a plain brown bag, plain plastic bag carrying it. No menu shoved in there, no no stamp, no sticker, no branding, certainly no call to action, right? So, you know, a, a stuffer to try to convert me to, to any sort of, all they did was fulfill the order. And it, it like, it blows my mind. So in everything we're talking about here, again, like I said a second ago, we think everyone's heard it and everybody knows it. Not everybody knows it, which is what makes it so important. You know, I find myself thinking a lot about, and I, I talk to my clients about this, how can you create a brand that is as strong as Starbucks so people would never even dream of going to the third-party apps to order uh, to order Starbucks, just like, just like you outlined, so that they wouldn't dream of going anywhere but directly to you. And I think that's, that's the real challenge. And I think if we, um, if, we, if we were honest with ourselves, I think that would solve a, a lot of the problems uh, that we have and would make a make a lot of this that much easier you know chip i, I couldn't agree more um and here's a question i get a lot i bet you get it a lot as well and that is yeah but you know starbucks and their app it's the best thing you know i need an app right well we actually we we tackle this a bit in the path to digital maturity and we we talk about it from the angle of well 
hold on a second, 70% of all online orders happen through a website, not through an app. And so maybe you don't, right? And part of the reason there's an app for a Starbucks and a Chipotle is there's loads of them, right? <laughs> it's that you, 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 yeah. There's loads of them around. And so any independent restaurant has to really be realistic on what is the frequency rate I want to have this customer come back to me? How often do I anticipate this customer coming back to me? And then how do I become um, fresh in mind in them? Now, if if they are someone that wants to use geofence technology or when you know, you're close by to a restaurant that you get a, a notification pop up, great. Apps are perfect for things like that. Um, and they do work. They absolutely have a, a, a great level of benefit. And inherently, because of someone downloading an app, typically app purchasing customers will have a higher lifetime value. But don't disregard the importance of your own website. And that means simple things mm-hmm. like Google My Business, right? Having things like your hours attributed to when you're available. You know, many of these uh, cars that are driving around the roads these days will have sat navs that say when someone's hungry, it will show the restaurants that are popping up. You know, keeping an eye on things like your online reviews and being able to stay higher than average, right? And, and making sure that you're responding to customer commentary, whether that be on Facebook or on Google or on Yelp. All of these little things add up to being able to help customers realize that you mean business when it means being online. Yeah. So when we talk about, I mean, we've spent a lot of time talking about sort of takeout and delivery, and, and maybe that's where a big thrust of this um, is for, but I wonder if we could talk, before we go any further and talk about some of the other stuff in the book, which I want to get to, um, I want to talk about the other ways um, that restaurants are digitizing and, and should be digitizing and, and will be just sort of inevitable within the, the coming years. Um, what, what other ways, uh, besides what we've already, we've covered so far? Yeah, well, I strongly believe that there's going to be a lot of digitization and automation that happen in the back of house. Um, you know, we talked about this as one of the big tech trends for, um, even 2023 in our nation's restaurant news speaker box article. And I think it's happening finally in the U S you know, in other countries where they're probably further ahead, where labor costs are very expensive. You know, you think of somewhere like Japan. Um, And it's finally happening in the U.S. because we are reaching a point where labor costs are so expensive and labor is so difficult to get that I think we're all starting to think, you know, there's got to be a better way as an industry. And at the same time, the costs of technology are coming down. Um, And so when those those two things intersect, cost of technology comes down, cost of labor goes up, all of a sudden it makes more sense um, to try to make the labor more productive using technology. Um, And Carl and I often say, you know, we don't need to go full robot uh, to have automation in the kitchen. Uh, Software automates a lot of things and makes uh, employees more productive. Uh, You might have something like a smart oven, which, you know, certainly isn't a robot, but it adds a lot of productivity to what an individual employee is able to get done in the kitchen. And so we've seen a lot of articles come out this year about uh, restaurant chains replacing their grills, updating their ovens, uh, doing these seemingly small changes to their equipment packages that make a really big impact on employee productivity. Um, So I think that is a very big trend. And we end the book talking about uh, the emergence of what we believe will be the next category in restaurants. So if you think about um, you know, fast food is a category, casual dining is a category, 
uh, fast casual as a category, what is the next thing that comes? Um, and we think it's a digitally native restaurant. And by that, we mean one that is fully optimized for off-premise consumption, uh, uses a lot of electric cooking methodologies, um, electricity being a precondition for automation, uh, integrating directly into the software that is operating that restaurant, almost like a restaurant operating system. That will be a more holistic piece of technology that sort of runs A to Z through the restaurant instead of having lots of little bits and pieces, um, which has been what's been going on for the last few years during this incredibly innovative time. We've seen all of these new technologies come out and they're starting to consolidate into systems. I think we'll see more of that as well. Yeah, I agree. I love that. Um, Carl, anything you'd add to to that sort of other ways that restaurants um, are digitizing or should be digitizing uh, beyond just sort of the um, uh, the delivery model and, and sort of how people order and, and get their food? Yes. Um, well, I, I love Meredith's answer there. I think that's right. And I particularly like this line that we, we, we do frequently use to don't go full robot. I love that. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> let's, answer, let's answer this question that uh, we touched on very early on, which is what is a digital restaurant? Right. And, and we'll, we'll tell you what we put in the book. And we say it's about being where your customers are. And so what does that mean? Well, of course, sometimes your customers are at home and they want food delivered, but sometimes they're on the road. And so um, they might want a great experience from a drive through experience, or maybe they want to um, have some kind of experience whereby they can pick up easily. Um, but there are also a large amount of customers, as we increasingly are seeing, that are going back to dining, which is great. And so technology like pay at table, right, that is something that um, has to move beyond the PDF. It has to move beyond the PDF. If you have a PDF menu uh, and, and people are scanning a QR code right now and you're thinking, great, I don't have to pay out for paper printing costs anymore, you're making a mistake. You're making a mistake. And let me tell you why. The reason you're making a mistake is that you're missing an opportunity to build that customer into your funnel. Much like we were just talking about your first party conversion and then coming in and, and being able to help understand who they are. That, that customer that comes in and pays at table, who then perhaps can join your loyalty program as well by just saving credit card information, for example, for future use, can then perhaps be, only a few days later, someone that does want delivery. You know, they've gone on from date night on a Saturday night and now they're coming back from um, work late a few days later and they're actually able to um, order delivery because they haven't got time to cook. It's a different use occasion. Now, that's really important. And, you know, again, in the book, we talk about things like virtual brands. And of course, we, we, you'll recall that from the original book where we explain the concept of virtual brands. But in this one, we talk about... Um, how do you think about the right type of virtual brand for you? You know, what, what is the right strategy for you? But just to um, go, go back as to why this is so important, well, virtual brands also are a way of being able to occupy digital shelf space, right? You were talking about the real estate piece earlier. Having another brand represented on a marketplace or through your first party is a way to have digital shelf space. And in that regard, it helps in being able to get a customer to visit you more frequently, especially for independence, right? Because again, how do you get customers coming back? They want variety. And perhaps through virtual brands, that's a way for you to be able to do that. Now, how are you going to be able to track them in to be aware of that type of thing? Well, you need to have their information. 
you need to have their information to communicate and to tell them about it. And so, again, when you've got pay-at-table customers and you're able to start accumulating that information from probably the biggest channel in your business, you're creating a much larger funnel, which is giving you a greater opportunity to be able to have a longer level of lifetime value uh, and certainly something that is going to create your guests to have a better experience overall. Yeah, I love that. And this sort of leads into a topic that I really wanted to make sure um, to hit on today's interview, and, and that's uh, this idea of uh, data mining. Um, in the book, you talk about, uh, you know, mine data like an e-commerce company. Um, talk to me about that, because I'm thinking what we just talked about leads right into that. And I, I want to spend a little bit of time here in this area. Yeah, well, that is the beautiful thing about digitization, right? As all of these transactions create a digital record that creates a ton of different information that restaurants that can then look at and use. Now, I think the unfortunate thing is that so far, uh, no one's really made it easy to use all of the data. Toast is probably the closest uh, to creating something that makes it easy to use the data. Um, but over time, I think the the various platforms will make it much, much easier to see what's happening. And, um, you know, for those who aren't familiar about how e-commerce company companies operate, it's a, it's a game of numbers, right? And they're always talking about the e-commerce funnel and how many people do I get in the top of the funnel? And then how do I get them to move through the various stages and then uh, go all the way through to transaction? And increasingly, as consumers are going through a digital process with restaurants, we will have that same kind of funnel data to understand where are they falling out. You know, are they falling out because they get to our menu and they're overwhelmed by it and they leave? Are they falling out because they click into a product item detail page or, you know, a menu item? I guess it would be called a normal restaurant speak and <laughs> uh, don't see what they want. Are they falling out because they actually put things in their cart, but then they abandon their cart? where what's happening and that will enable us as restaurant tours to say oh i need to ab test my pictures because something's going on at that uh, menu item level or i need to think through my pricing because something's going on at the cart abandonment level so many different opportunities to optimize that flow in that process to get the best um performance on that e-commerce funnel and that is going to translate to increased digital sales we're at the very front end of that right and uh, so much so that you know as we were writing the book we thought oh certainly you know someone must just have an article about this that we can borrow from and quote um let's call up doordash and toast and and certainly they'll have some things that we can use and um, they, nope, the answer was no. They definitely gave us some input that was fantastic um, and very much appreciated, but nobody had the like, bam, here it is. This is what restaurants should do. Um, and I think over time, as technology continues to improve, uh, that will be much, much easier. But at the start, read the book and start to get to familiar with those terms and, and think about how you could calculate them using the data that you do have. Yeah, because the, uh, the, that's the question, because I, I have this uh, conversation as well, in that um, we need to be able to, right, we've got all our data, all our POS data over here, our reservations data over here, um, you know, third party is somewhere else, we, you know, and and exactly, you know, what the experience is in, in person, you know, all this data has to be pulled into one thing. And, and there are some, uh, uh, some programs that are getting better at it, like you said, Toast, um, I think of Seven Rooms, Seven Rooms is a, is a, uh, another sort of player 
um, that's getting better at this. Um, but you're right. We, we don't have a, like a full like CRM hub, like a Salesforce, like a whatever the equivalent is, you know, the, you know, sales companies have Salesforce, um, like a like a true thing. So in the meantime, where do we start to do? How do we start? How do we start to do that to, to pull our data and use that data to make decisions about how to increase the frequency of visits, for example? Well, the starting point is to create a spreadsheet, a spreadsheet, and, and that could be through reservations, right? So even if you have a book at the front of your restaurant today with someone's name and telephone number and the time they're coming in at the weekend, that is data. That is data. And how could it be data? Well, if you have that data point, then you can find that Mr. S Mr. and Mrs. Smith with this particular telephone number typically come in on every third Friday. Well, that's a data point. Right. And if you can use things like that, that not only can help you with forecasting the labor that you're going to need on Friday nights, it's also going to help you with your ability to ensure you've got the right level of ingredients that are coming in. Because obviously, if you're struggling to draw your sales data in an appropriate fashion, that's going to be a factor. But ultimately, this is all about prepping you. This is almost like the, the pre-work before a gym routine to enable you to get condition yourself so that when you are ready for things like a CRM or a customer data platform, where you can start to utilize this data in far more productive ways to segment Mr. and Mrs. Smith into this particular category and Mr. Closer in this particular category, where then each of them have their own separate funnels because of the type of customer they are, or the types of things that they purchase, or the, the types of frequency. Right. That is something that can start by just with a reservations book. If you're on OpenTable, if you're on Yelp, you know, what ways can you use the data that's available there? Um, there are things, for example, in OpenTable today where you can actually put customer notes in, for example, around this customer uh, today purchased this bottle of wine. Well, that data point, again, is something that can create a better experience for the guests the next time they come in. You know, oh, last time you came in and you had this particular bottle yeah. of Cabernet, you know, would you like that again? That's a great experience for someone. You can use that, yes, initially for an on-premise experience, but eventually that type of thing can then be used as an upsell in a digital sense. That's right. And that's my, I guess that's my frustration where we're at now in the industry, um, in that we we have data like that. We we've had data like that for thirty years. I mean, for longer certainly. But you know, Open Table launches what thirty years ago and sort of digitizes that. Uh, you know, and and so we can we don't have to remember. We don't have to write it down on a little on a little notepad. We we can remember. Oh, this is the last time this guest was here. They spent X number of dollars, and this is what they drank. Um, so we can better serve them the next time they're in. Um, but we need to be able to find better ways to use that data to get them to come in the next time. And and this is what I find myself uh, wishing for more and more. Um, I spent some time uh, marketing for uh, the fitness industry, for yoga studios and fitness studios. And this is something they do really, really well. Um, there are programs like Axel or uh, LoyalSnap or FitGrid um, that plug into the, you know, the big player in fitness studios uh, is MindBody. And so these are programs that plug right in there that you can build all kinds of uh, nurture sequences and, and, and funnels and, uh, you know, based on, um, on their habits and, and what sort of actions they take. You know, so first time visit, they get put into this sequence. And when the sequence works, that sequence is trying to sell them a three pack of classes. When they purchase the three pack, then they're thrown into a different sequence. Uh, 
maybe to try and get them to be full-time members. Um, when they fall out of that, they go into another funnel. Like people are always put in one funnel or the other because we're always trying to nurture them into sort of the desired behavior. Um, and I've talked to some people in that in that space. I said, "Come over, build something for restaurants," because it's exactly it's exactly what we need. Where we, thing, it's just yeah. basic. Yeah, it's basic if then algorithms. If yeah. they take this action, then show them this communication strategy. Yeah, if they say, don't, then show them this. For whatever reason, restaurants are very early in the development of what I call MarTech, right? So in e-commerce or something like what you're describing in fitness, MarTech is very advanced. There are all kinds of companies out there who have optimized this or that aspect of how you um, either bring in new customers or remarket to them once you have their data. And uh, restaurants, I think, are pretty early in that. And instead, what you see is big chains who have the money developing their own internal sequences um, and then all of the smaller independents for some reason that hasn't really become a common thing i think that is definitely the next frontier and i think it all has to do with roi and it's something that everybody loves to say but nobody loves to actually track you know roi is return on investment which begs the question what are you investing what are you putting in and what's the expected return uh, we all do this with our retirement accounts. We all do this with our college, kids' college accounts. But if we knew that we could get a certain uh, result, you know, would you be willing to invest $1,000 in this program? If I could show you that over the course of the month, that $1,000 would turn into $10,000, um, which there is, uh, there is software out there that, that, has those kind of, that has those kind of metrics. Um, and still people, I think, feel, uh, uh, I don't know, reticent of it uh, for whatever reason but or they don't have I the time to do it. I think it's just so new, right? We're, we're turning yeah. restaurant economics on its head. I think everyone's used to thinking of four-wall economics as a way that you judge a restaurant, thinking of the PNL as a series of percentages, thinking of marketing as a percentage cost that you have to reinvest, you know, percent of total sales. And that's just kind of how the restaurant industry has been. And so to turn it on its head and say, no, we're going to measure the individual productivity of an individual ad. We're going to measure the lifetime value of an individual consumer. That is such a different way of thinking about restaurant economics from how we all grew up, right? So it's going to take time for us to, first of all, adapt to that way of thinking and then learn it and then learn to apply it consistently. But then also, you know, fundamentally, a restaurant still is four walls, right? That box still has to be profitable in a four wall sense. And so we need yep. to do the work to connect that, uh, that new way of thinking about an individual ad or an individual consumer back to the productivity of those four walls. I love it, guys. Um, we're winding down on our time together, so I wonder if we can bounce through. So the the book is, again, meant to be a how-to guide. It is out now. Um, it's a companion piece to this, and it's just basically how they can, how operators can sort of get on this track. Do this, do this, do this, do this. What else that we haven't covered here today um, is is worth mentioning here? What um, what else is in the book that we want to talk yeah, well about? I think the, the the book is helping folks find their place on where they are. You know, how digitally mature are you today? I mean, some people would go, I'm nowhere else. I'm, I, I think I'm great. The, the challenge I think a lot of folks are in right now is that they did a bit of a spray and pray strategy through the pandemic where they've deployed different bits of technology. And some of that technology 
perhaps was ahead of its time for where the restaurant is today to truly take advantage and optimize its use of it. And as we're in these more, you know, somewhat more difficult times as well with regards to the the expenditure that is being exposed across restaurants, and you know, we'd say if you're a typical restaurant, you may have something like fifteen to twenty different pieces of technology in your restaurant today. There might be, have to be some choices about which ones do you want to keep and which ones do you want to um, let go of. And so, therefore, understanding where you're at on the path is probably the, the important piece. Now, the book has a series of tips within it, uh, which give you a chance to reflect on thinking about helping you answer those questions, but also more tangible how-tos, as you say. And at the end of each chapter, Chip, there is a worksheet, which, again, is a, encouraging folks to be a bit reflective. You're going to love it as a coach. You know, you're going to think it's great, hopefully. Um, but for, for us, it's it's helping chart a path and hopefully by the end of the book a restaurant is going to be able to say where do i want to get now meredith taught me about this term that they use at yum and i've, I've seen used elsewhere but it's called future back and i think the the, the the idea of future back is to say where do you want to be in the future and then work your way back and then start you know moving towards that that that, that eventual goal and part of that challenge is then you know, understand well what what is realistic for me. How you know where do I really want to be? What is the type of restaurant that I ex- expect to be? And there's one point in the book where we talked about the digitally native brand earlier, that we actually say to restaurants, well, are you going to go in this direction? Because if you're going to go in this direction, this is going to like you know blow your mind in many ways because you're going to have to change your operating model. You have to change the way in which you think about this overall business. But it's the way things are heading, and some today are already making those steps and finding some great success as well. And so we, we, we share the, that story because it's important for restaurants to realize that it's not necessarily about reaching the zenith. It's not necessarily about reaching the absolute point of digital maturity, but it's about finding about how willing you are and how far you um, wish to go on, on that journey. And so part of that, of course, is um, you know exploring things like virtual brands, ghost kitchens. It's uh, exploring basic operational things around your capacity throughput, you know, and and stopping things like throttling, for example. We we um, we explore the idea of guest data, you know, and how um, getting moving beyond just customer segmentation in different type of chunks and groups to more of a one-to-one customer relationship and how you can start using that data in a way to really be able to give your guests a one-to-one type of experience in a digital context. All of those are things that come a little later down in the digital maturity pathway there, if you will. Um, But the very last chapter is more of a, a commentary to the technologists, the technology companies. And in that space, um, which is particularly pertinent given my role now at a juicer, a dynamic pricing company, and, and Meredith as a CEO of Empower, uh, you know, but both of us running technology companies, what we're trying to say to our, our peers in, our, in the space here is, we gotta work together better. We gotta work together better. And if we can work together better, we can do this thing called holistic technology, which means moving beyond simple APIs which are going to allow restaurants to be able to use technology that can talk to each other, two different bits of technology to talk to each other, to now a place where one piece of technology supports all the different bits of technology and and in reverse. And the example in the book that we talk about is um, imagine you get to a situation where a couple of cooks call out ill this evening. right? So what happens in a restaurant today when a couple of your key staff members call out ill? 
it's like, oh my goodness, we have to we have to shuffle, right? We have to shuffle <laughs> quick, and we have to adapt, and we have to see what's going to happen. Well, imagine if technology That's could right. ha- help. Imagine if technology could say, you know what, we're going to restrict the amount of open table reservations we're going to have this evening. Imagine you can reach out to companies like mine with Juicer and say, we're going to increase the prices by fifty cents. Or we're going to be able to change the way in which the shift distribution happens on something like a seven shifts. And now actually you've got a different distribution of labor across the, the, the team. That's how holistic technology is going to enable restaurants to be more mature ultimately. But the technology companies need to lead with that. And so it's a, it, it's a, a call to the industry at large, if you will, to be able to say, this is where we should head. Let's do it together. I love it. Um, all right, give me your uh, your number one tip I want to get from each of you. Uh, if people listen to this, they're going to go get the book. We're going to obviously li- uh, link to that in the show notes. I'm going to give you a chance, just a few minutes, to tell people where they need to go to get the book. But if there's one thing they can ta- take action on right now before they even read the book, they said, I love it, I'm ordering it, it's going to come, I-, I can't wait. But in the meantime, I just need to do something. What's the one thing? And I'll, I'll pose that question to each of you. Meredith, you go. you jump in first. If I were to pick one thing, it would be to optimize my third-party marketplace presence. Almost everyone's on the third-party marketplaces. It is the easiest place to begin uh, the digital restaurant uh, path as you will. And to optimize that, I would say be on the homepage, be above the fold, and be in the carousels. And if you want to know what those three things are, read the book. (laughs) I love it. Carl. Uh, I'll keep on a similar theme, um, and that is flex, but don't stop your marketing spend. You know, just being on the marketplaces alone is not enough. It's becoming a very, very crowded space out there. You know, those, the, the digital sh- uh, shelf space, there's lots of shelves. And so to Meredith's point about being above the fold, it's about also investing in marketing. And yes, there are different times in which you can do that. But I think the big tip is, Never stop. Even if you're just paying $5 a week, keeping that on is going to train the algorithms um, better to optimize your restaurant than turning it off and putting $200 on the next week. Great. I love that. Um, all right, guys. I got five questions I'm going to ask. I'm going to give you guys both a chance to answer these. Um, they're fun. They're meant to be fun. So five questions we can do at the end. Are you guys down? Sure. Great. Um Meredith, what's the last great meal you had? Uh, last night I ate at Javier's, uh, which is one of my favorite Mexican restaurants. Uh, if you have not been to it, it is uh, based in Orange County, but they have one here in Mexico. I think that's just amazing that it is a California Mexican restaurant that has come into Mexico. Um, and it was wonderful. So I am going to take that. Yeah, uh, Meredith, uh, we should say, is uh, is on vacation and has uh, gr- graciously uh, graced us with, with her presence uh, before her uh, her day at the pool uh, begins. So, uh, Meredith, if we haven't said it yet uh, on air, I will uh, thank you before we started hitting record. I want to thank you again for taking time out of your vacation to have this conversation with us. Well, but, as, um, I lo- as you say, I we got to plan breaks into our schedules, right? Yeah, for sure. A hundred percent. All right, Carl, same question for you. What's the last great meal you had? Well, I also was in Cabo uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, I went to this amazing restaurant that Meredith hasn't chosen to go to yet because it's too far away, but it's called Edith's, and it was fantastic. I mean, I put some pictures up on my social media, a beautiful restaurant. It was all the things 
that you would want to dine out for, right? Great service, great experience, music playing, the smell and the aroma of the food, the chefs engaging with the customers. Uh, and, you know, it, it was just one of those moments where you thought, yep, I'm in Mexico. This is great. Love it. All right. Question number two, uh, Meredith. Uh, what's the last great hospitality touch you got? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. The last great hospitality touch. Well, I am going to go with uh, Carl and I got delivery from Zintai Fun um, last week together. And um, I have put an unboxing video of that online. But the reason I choose them is because that was a digital experience, right? I ordered it through DoorDash. Um and not through the restaurant's first party. I, in fact, I don't even know if they have first party. It was delivered by a DoorDash driver. And yet, it was a hospitality experience from Dintai Fung. And it was because of the way in which they assemble their packaging. It's so beautiful. You almost feel like you're at the restaurant, even though you're eating it at home. I love it. I love it. Uh, Carl, same question for you. What's the last great hospitality touch? you've had this is a real subtle and simple one order accuracy is a major major challenge when it comes to delivery um i love it when someone signs their name and says enjoy your meal on the the chit or on the receipt in some way and so when i ordered delivery a few nights ago had this nice little note saying enjoy your meal rachel right and that is a little bit of service it's something different It, it makes it a little bit more human isn't it amazing how little, and I'm, I'm always amazed at this. Um, I talk about this a lot with the staff, uh, staffs at restaurants when I go in there. It takes so little to impress people anymore. Um, it takes so little to show that we're engaged and present and that we care, um, as evidenced by that, right? Just, just signing their name. I, I love that. Um, all right, question number three. If a genie came down and granted you just one wish as it relates to our industry, what would it be? So, Meredith, what would you wish for? One wish for our industry. Um, I am really excited to see uh, the future of restaurants. You know, consumers have opted more and more for prepared meals from restaurants as opposed to spending their money on grocery, um, which I think reflects a whole host of trends going on with the consumer. And I think that restaurants are just going to continue to innovate to make that better and better and better. And as I said, right now, we're in this phase of massive innovation and frankly, experimentation. Um, And it's not totally clear yet what exactly that next winning category is going to be, but I can't wait to see it when it emerges. Excellent. Carl, we get one wish. What do you want to wish for the genie? All right. I have not been sponsored by Chip Closer in this answer. But my 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 best my best wish probably in this in, in this context would be I would love for every independent restaurant to get a coach for ten to fifteen hours to help them explore and and, and really get the opportunity to learn about what's going on and why every restaurant actually has a great opportunity to take advantage of what's happening right now. I think it's about coaching. It's about time to learn and train and just taking a bit of a time out. And if every independent did that, and it's, you know, it comes back to why we wrote the book, we're going to have a much better, much more fulfilled experience as guests because we all love the independents and they need some help. It's, it's so true. And luckily there are so many great capable passionate coaches out there it's it's not about me there's so many great people and 
the best executives in the world, the best athletes in the world have somebody in their corner pushing them um, to be better. And so why not get somebody in your corner who will push you to be better, who can challenge you, ask questions, you know, force you into things uh, and provide a little bit of connection to the rest of the industry. Um, I appreciate that answer. I, I think that's I think that's really great. All right. Number four, we're coming around the, the bend here. Uh, Meredith, what uh, what would you tell someone who's about to open their first restaurant? What oh, advice? wow. Huh, fun. Uh, you know, I think I would suggest uh really um, using these new digital tools to kind of test the brand before you put it out there. So whether that is um, literally just putting up fake websites, um, testing to see what kind of traction you get uh, with different names or pictures or things like that, Um, maybe going into a ghost kitchen to serve um, before you start, because it can be a really big investment to open a new restaurant, especially if you want to do dine-in and make it beautiful. Um, and I would uh, think through, are there kind of asset light ways of testing that before you go all in on a $4 million build out? I love that. Carl. Differentiate yourself, differentiate yourself. Uh, there's a lot of the same stuff out there. And if you're a little different and that's not just about the food, it's about the experience. It's about the digital experience. You're going to be able to stand out from the best, the rest. I love it. Um, music to my ears. All right, last question. Um, this is a perfect question for you guys. Uh, I, I've been asking a lot of people uh, the same five questions, um, and it's so apropos for you guys. Uh, Meredith, tell me about the future of restaurants. You look five years down the line. What is coming that you think other people may not see coming? Yeah, I really think this electrification thing is a big deal. And you know, when it first became a law in Berkeley, California, which of course was the first place to outlaw gas cooking, um, you know, the restaurant industry was just a little bit like aghast. Like, are they kidding? Like, what? (laughs) That's not going to (laughs) work. And in the meantime, you know, sous vide has really come into its own. Um, Think about all these smart ovens coming into their own and able to replicate in a lot of ways the flavors that we love from the more you know, complex gas cooking methods. And I think that we're really going to trend that way. And why are we going to trend that way? Because not, you know, Berkeley environmental reasons, but because you actually find it very difficult to automate gas. And it's the same reason why we see Tesla has an electric vehicle. Is it because they love the environment? Actually, I don't think it is, right? It's because electricity is so much easier to automate than a combustion engine. And I think the same thing's going to happen in restaurants. I love that. All right, Carl, same question. Look five years down the line. What's coming that other people may not see? Why don't we start with this question? I could have spent an hour talking about this. Um, (laughs) 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 Um, All right, I'm going to choose one. Uh, Look, let's carry on with the automation theme. Meredith earlier mentioned a a lot of automation in in the back of house as well. And ultimately, that is going to mean more investment into better food. Right. That, that I think is going to create a better guest experience in terms of better quality food. And if you're not excited about that, then my goodness, you shouldn't be in the industry. Better quality food for people, I think, is going to be awesome because then it's going to enable us to really just heighten the game out there. And it's going to differentiate, again, the best from the rest. I love it. Um, all right, guys, listen, I've, I've loved our time together. I want to get uh, Meredith to the beach. I want to get Carl back to work. Um, final uh, final words here before I let you go. Uh, tell everybody uh, where they can go get this book and your previous book. 
Yep, well, of course, uh, this comes back to the third-party, first-party discussion chip. So if you want to go third-party, there's a certain website out there called Amazon, and you can be able to download uh, either a Kindle version uh, or the get a paperback copy from Amazon, or you can come to our first-party channel, uh, which is deliveringthedigitalrestaurant.com. Uh, there we actually have an offer where you can get both books. If you haven't read the first book, you can get both books now for $30, and so head there and we'll be able to send a copy to you. Um, but the uh, the book is going to be available, and hopefully uh, by the time this podcast goes live, maybe even the audio book is live. So that is coming if it's not available already. Excellent. Um, guys, I appreciate it. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks, Chip. Yeah, thank you. So once again, I want to thank Carl and Meredith for taking time out of their day to join us. I appreciate them sharing their insight and advice uh, with uh, all of the audience here. I hope you got something from it. Again, you're going to find the link in the show notes to get either of these books. And again, there's a special deal if you order it on their website to get both books for just $30. It is a steal. Uh, the first book is genius, and uh, and I can't wait to uh, to get this uh, this new book in front of all of your uh, in all of your hands. Uh, again, I appreciate you guys all being here, carving out time out of your week to be here. Uh, Be well, and I will see you next time.